of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast, will contain descriptions of acts of violence or of a sexual nature and are for people that are 18 years or older. Heed my warning, people. Welcome to this episode of Real Life, Real Crime. I'm your host, Woody Overton, and we want to thank everyone for tuning in and listening. Today, we're going to be talking about David and Christina Constance, a husband and wife team who raped children, including their own, but many different children for many years. In fact, David Constance, we found out through the course of the investigation, had been raping children for at least 25 years before he even met his wife, Christina. But I want to warn you that there's going to be a lot of graphic descriptions and sexual terms that were presented to me by the victims in this case or the suspects in this case. So it might be a little bit shocking to hear, but I'm, I'm just going to tell it to you as it was told to me. All right. So on February 1st, 2005, I was working as a detective with the Livingston Parish Sheriff's Office. Our detective office was located in the Livingston Parish Courthouse in the town of Livingston, Louisiana. I came into the office and observed two ladies sitting across from my secretary, my secretary, Tina Stafford. And Tina said, hey, Woody, these ladies need to talk to a detective. Do you, do you have a moment for them? And to be honest with you, I didn't. I, I was slammed. And at the time, we were we there was no specialized detective division in our office I think we had eight detectives total, and we worked everything from thefts to homicides and everything in between. And I was actually just returning to the office for a moment to grab another file to go in the field to arrest someone. But I could see the look on, on the ladies' faces, and, and I said, okay, there was nobody else in the office other than, than Tina. So, so I told him, I said, I introduced myself to him. I said, Hey, I'm Woody Overton. I'm a detective. And one lady introduced herself as Miss Kimberly Domain and the other introduced herself as Christina Constance. And Miss Domain told me, she said, my friend Christina has something she wants to tell you, but she doesn't want to get in trouble for it. So, okay, well, y'all come back into my office and have a seat. So we went into my office. They sat down across from me and I said, okay, then what's going on? Tell me why I'm here. And Christina Constance unsolicited stated, she said, my husband, and I asked her, I said, who's your husband? She said, David Constance. She said, my husband forced me to have sex with his nephew. And in the same breath, before I could say anything, I was when I first heard her say, okay, well, my husband, 
you know, forced me to have sex with his nephew. I was thinking, well, you know, I really wasn't thinking the worst at that time, right? That is another juvenile sex case, basically, in my mind. But in, almost in the same breath, she followed that up with, and he made me suck my seven-year-old son's dick. And I was like, oh, okay, stop and hold it right there. I said, don't say anything else. It's constant. You have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. I said, you have the right to an attorney prior to and during question. You can't afford one. The court will point one for you. I said, do you understand your rights? And she said, stated that she did. I then asked Miss Domain to go sit in the outer office and wait. Came back in, uh, provided Christina Constance with the standard Livingston Parish Sheriff's Office, Miranda Wright's written form, in which I read out her rights again out loud from the form verbatim, and I had her sign and state that she understood her rights. And at the bottom of that form is a consent to question in part, and it states that Christina Constance consented to question to answer questions without a lawyer present, and she knew what she was doing, and no threats or promises had been made to her, and no type of coercion or anything was used. So once she, she signed those and dated them, I said, okay, you just have to start from the beginning, right? So let me back up for a second and tell you, Christina Constance, I, I would have guessed she was a, around 30 years old. Turned out she was 29, but she was probably 5'10", a little heavy set, long black hair, not overly attractive, but, but not, you know, she wasn't a dog either, if you would. So the, and she was sitting there, she was just, just, I didn't get the sense that she was really worried about anything. And I, I come to find out later on, I think it was due to her low low IQ or I shouldn't say probably lower IQ than than most normal people but by, by no means to the level of retardation or anything like that. So I told her so hey Christina, tell me about you and you and your husband. She said, Well, we've been married and, but for the last month I've been living with Kimberly Domain, my friend who brought me here today. And she I said, Well what what made you come forward now to tell me about these things? And she said, Well, Kimberly's son and I won't use his name because he was a juvenile at the time. But she told me, she said, Kimberly's son wrote me a note that said that my husband, David, told him he could fuck me. Her words, not mine. That he could fuck me and he wanted to know when we could do it. She said that Kimberly Domain found the note and confronted her about it. And when she did, and she was mad at Christina, it's like, what the hell is this? What's the deal here? And Christina said, well, Clutch, or that's David Constance's nicknames, Clutch or Double Clutch, because he drove a dump truck. Uh, and she said, Clutch forces me to have sex with kids. And she told Kimberly Domain about having sex with the uh, Clutch's nephew and about Clutch forcing her to suck her son's penis, seven-year-old son's penis. And, and Kimberly was like, hey, look, you got to tell somebody, you know, you gotta, we got to go in. This isn't right. And Christina agreed. And so she came in freely and voluntarily. Now, I asked her, I said, how long have y'all been separated for? And she said about around a month. And because a lot of times in situations like this, people will come in and give false allegations. And I just want to see gauge her truth level, if you would. But the, so what I did, I told her, I said, Christine, what I want you to do is, is write out for me 
a statement as to what about you having sex with, with his nephew and about him forcing you to perform oral sex on, on your seven-year-old son. I said, while you're doing that, I'm going to go make a couple of phone calls and just sit right here. Nobody's going to bother you, and I'll be back in a few minutes. I then went out, and I spoke with Miss Domain, and she she confirmed that she found the note from her her juvenile son to Christina saying, hey, Clutch said said I could fuck you, and when can we do it? And Domain was the, the mom was pissed, right? Rightfully so. But she said, you know, she said, Christina's kind of simple. She said, you know, she's not retarded or anything like that, but she just, her IQ is, is not that high. Uh, she said, so she was very open with me when, and, and told me about those two instances. So I called my, the chief of detectives, Stan Carpenter, and then I called my partner, Brian Smith, and I, and I told him, I say, hey, Brian, you got to come in. This is this was kind of going to be a shit show. We're just, I ran it down to him real quick what was happening, and I said, there's no, this guy, if he's been doing this, you know, you don't just start out sucking your own son's dick. He's a, obviously, it's going to be more in-depth than this. So Brian came to the office, and... By the time he got there, we went into my office and Christina had written up the statements, et cetera. And I introduced Brian and we went over, tell me what happened with the nephew. And Christina said that when they were living in Holden, Louisiana, that the nephew came over um, and Clutch, David Constance, wanted her to fuck him and it, to fuck the nephew. And he brought the nephew in the bedroom. He had Christina stripped naked and get on the bed. And he was like, don't you want to fuck her? And the juvenile, his initials are T B uh, Tango Bravo and T T B. Don't you want to fuck her? And, and he said, no, that he was scared. And then T B went into the bathroom and he came back out and David Constance was like, come on, you don't want to fuck her. You're a pussy. You don't want to fuck her. Look at it. She's naked. And then uh, David Constance started to, to masturbate him through his pants, et cetera, and then forced him to undress and then get on the bed with Christina. And they laid side by side, and Christina stated that they – started to kiss and French kiss. And then they were side by side and they had sexual intercourse and, and that the boy didn't last that long. And, and he ejaculated inside of her. I then asked her, I said, well, tell me about him forcing you to, you know, suck your son's penis. And you see on, in cases like this, you can't, you can't let your emotions show naturally that this is hard to hear. I guess as an old detective, you become desensitized to it, but I'm, I'm looking at her. I'm engaging with eye contact, et cetera. Like I'm genuinely concerned and, and I'm on her side, if you will. And I'm conveying all this through body language and, and being in a non-threatening manner. And she stated that she woke up in her bed in the middle of the night because she, she felt movement in the bed and that the seven-year-old son was in the middle of the bed. It was a big bed. She was on one side. The seven-year-old son was in the middle. And then David Constance had, was on the other side when he had gone to sleep. But she woke up because there was movement in the bed. She looks down and she sees David Constance performing oral sex. She said a blowjob. She said he was giving my son a blowjob. And when I said, what are you doing? 
said that David grabbed her by the head of the hair and forced her down to her son's penis, erect penis, believe it or not, if a seven-year-old can get erect, but the and forced her to perform oral sex on him. And where she says she he forced me to suck his dick in until he was finished. So I told Christina, I stopped her and I said, look, we have some things that we're going to do. We're going to ask you to sit tight. I said, I'm going to get a statement from Miss Domain, a written statement, and then send her home. And I said, you're not under arrest, but you know, we have to look into this. So I went out and had Brian get, uh, get the statement from Miss Domain. And we ran a, a criminal history on David Constance, the criminal history showed that he had been arrested and pled nello contende, which is basically guilty. You're not stating that you're guilty where you could be sued civilly. So he pled nello contende to contribute into uh, delinquency of a juvenile. So based off Christina's constant statement that she observed her husband performing sex on the seven year, their seven-year-old son, the I obtained an arrest warrant for David Constance for aggravated rape, which in the, in the state of Louisiana, aggravated rape is penetration, no matter how slight, whether it's oral, anal, or vaginal person. I think at the time it was under 13 years of age. Now it's 12 years or under. And so we had that uh, arrest warrant made and also obtained a search warrant for David Constance's residence because Christina stated that he did have some type of child porn or, or she believed that he had some type of child porn in the residence. And we went out, knocked on the door. It was a trailer in the trail park, knocked on the door. And there was a large Alaskan Husky, uh, almost looked like a wolf. I'll never forget it, but that was growling at the door, et cetera. And David Constance came to the door and I observed him. And I thought, I mean, this guy looks like a little troll, right? I mean, certainly not handsome or anything like that but he was short a little bit of beard and mustache and just uh, you know I, I wouldn't even call him plain looking if not ugly but so he opened the door and went in and told us i see you david constance he said yes my name is woody overton you're under arrest for aggravated rape of the seven-year-old juvenile and he's like, oh, I don't know what you're talking about, uh, et cetera. My wife left a month ago. She's just trying to do this to get back at me, et cetera. So I stopped him. I said, listen, man, I, I advised him his Miranda rights. You have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be in court law. You have a right to an attorney prior to and during questioning. You can't afford one of court appoint one for you. And I'm, I said, I'm not trying to question you at this time. So we're going to, we have a, a search warrant for your residence. And then we'll be taking you in to book you. And if you want to give a statement, you can give a statement at that time. And so we searched the residence. We found stuff. We didn't find any. We found some computers and things like that that would have to be sent off for analysis. And you know, we found some porn, like barely legal team hustle magazines and stuff like that, but nothing that was outright obvious child porn. But we took him in and he kept stating that. This was all his wife trying to get back at him and he didn't know what she was talking about, et cetera. And, and we booked him on the charge. Then we continued our interview with Christina Constance and discovered that they had been having sex with, they had had sex or some type of sexual contact molestation with 13 different kids 
since they had been married, just since David and Christina had been married. And that these kids, a lot of them now, because it's been going on for so long, a lot of them now would have been adults. So it was our job to find the ones who weren't adults yet and get them to what we call a CAC or Child Advocacy Center forensic interview in which the victim or alleged victim would go in and have a trained professional forensic child interviewer find out or if the child will talk, uh, find out what what did or didn't happen in the case. But our problem was that this case was so massive because there were so many different potential victims in so many different parishes spread all throughout Louisiana that what happened was David Constance MO or his modus operandi was he would befriend families that were very, very poor. And whenever he had moved to a new town, he'd find a family that had kids in the age range. He liked to offend against and he would befriend them and, and come good friends with the parents and then take the kids for candy or hamburgers or whatever. And then eventually lead up to where he, the kids would come spend the night at his house and where he had more control and he would groom his victims as it went along and ultimately lead up to the sexual acts. But so he used his position and his friendship with these families and these people, some of them are just, just simple salt of the earth people. Not, none of them were educated and most of them didn't have jobs, et cetera. And, and so when, David Constance would come in and buy their kids things or buy them the family meals and stuff like that. And then when he offered to take the kids for the, the whole weekend, I mean, that was, that was a great break for the family, right? So they, they, the, the, that's uh, two or three days that they wouldn't have to worry about feeding their kids. I mean, that's just how poor they were. And I mean, these families must have thought they hit the jackpot when, you know, clutch shows up and, and starts buying meals and, taking the family places, et cetera. And the, now I'll go into more detail in a little bit on, on s- some of the specific victims' families. But it, when I say they're short of being homeless, there's no way a, a person could be poor, and there's no way that the general consensus of the victims, no way they could be any, any less educated. I mean, I mean, just most of them on disability. All of them were to the – Every one of them was on welfare or public assistance, et cetera. So we go back, and like I said, we're talking to Christina Constance, and we start a general timeline of what happened and uh, how she came to know David Constance, et cetera. And it turned out that David was with Christina's older sister, in a relationship when he was 18 and Christina was approximately, I think nine or 10 years old. And David started having sex with Christina or actually they were raping her when she was that age. And it went on until she was 14 or 15. And David Constance had Christina convinced that they were in love, et cetera. And they actually ran away together in 1991. And that's when he was arrested. I think it was in Texas and brought back on the charges of numerous charges, 
child rape, et cetera, kidnapping, which they pled it down, great legal system, pled it down to one count of contributing to a delinquency of a juvenile to which he pled no low contend day, and that's it. So they went on from there, and it could, I mean, I guess the family dropped it because they figured she was old enough and as a teenager or whatever. I don't know. I don't understand it, but the, the certainly, I know for a fact that just to the profile, that type of pedophile, he didn't just start out with Christina. He probably had been molesting people for years before that. And then he used his relationship with Christina's older sister to have her in age range that he liked to offend against. And he was able to groom her and bring her along. And then when they ultimately end up getting married, the crimes escalated and he groomed her into to bring other kids into the situation. And the, we were able to find 13 victims that were still juveniles. But the, Christina counted for over 20 victims that they had had some type of molestation or rape or, or intercourse with or inappropriate actions with since they had been together, since they had been married. So our partner and I, Brian Smith, were faced with a huge dilemma and the huge task of trying to find all these victims or alleged possible victims. Now, you remember when you know, people are this poor, like the one time I'm going to tell you about, they move like almost every month. But because either they'll lose a little job they might have for a couple of weeks or they move into a new place and they can't afford it. So they get evicted and they move from parish to parish. And a lot of times from state, a lot of the victims were even out of state. We had no way of finding them. So some of them, Christina couldn't even tell us who the names were. The I mean, she just had forgotten. It was such a large number uh, of kids that they did this with. And it was boys and girls that they raped. They, they, it didn't matter to them. And David Constance, Double Clutch, used basically used Christina as bait in most cases or used her to facilitate these rapes. And so my partner and I scheduled Child Advocacy Center interviews for the 13 victims that we found in all the different parishes, et cetera. And during the CAC interviews, a child is brought in and they're not introduced to the police and they get straight into the room with a forensic interviewer and it's set up like a little playroom. They'll have stuffed animals and coloring books, et cetera, and toys on the floor. And they, they let the kid go in and play for a little bit and they talk to them, not about, about anything sexual, what have you at first. And then they begin the interview where the interviewer introduces herself and then says, this is where I work. And then do you know what I do? And, and you have to remember these, these victims that we had, the 13 that we had were anywhere from like nine years old up to uh, 17 years old. And so each one, was done independently and the interviewer had to take a different approach to each one. Like on the younger children, they would say, okay, um, do you know what it is? To, the difference between telling a lie or telling the truth and kid would say yes. And she said, okay, so if I told you the walls in this room were brown, would that be a lie or the truth? And the walls were yellow. So the kid would say no. 
that that would be a lie. And she said, why would that be, be a lie? And the, and the child would say, because the walls are yellow. And it would be okay. And the, the each interview starts out this way, where they establish a, a baseline and that, and that the child understands the truth. So they go through the process, and then the interviewer will say, okay, so do you know what it is that I do here? And the child would either say yes or no. And then the interviewer would explain that their job was to talk to children who uh, sometimes may have had something bad happen to them or not. And then that it was a safe place and, and they could use whatever words they wanted to use if they had anything to say. And then no one, you weren't going to get any trouble for anything that you said or, or, you know, didn't say. But the one thing that they wanted them to do was just be truthful. And so generally they would start out with something like, tell me what your name is and, and when were you born? Where do you live? Who lives with you? And then they ask them, do you, do you know why you're here today? And that's generally where the child would open up and begin to give the details of the crime. Now, law enforcement or we would be in another room monitoring the, the interview through a closed caption television system. And we had, one-way communication with the interviewer. Okay. So if there was something that they left out at the interview or during the middle of the interview, if there's something that came up that we need to know about from our investigation standpoint, we could speak to the interviewer and they had an earpiece in and they could hear it. But it would would start in and they were walking through it and they never asked any leading questions. It's simply letting the child state what did or didn't happen. And they, they would follow it up with, repeating what it is that the child said and so okay so what you're telling me is this this and this happened and the child would be like yes and then they may say something like did anything else happen and the child would say yes or no and if it was yes then can you tell me about that and then they would go on at the end of the interviews the children would leave with their guardians or parents or whomever it was and we would speak with them based off the interview we we as detectives could go and sign a warrant if we thought felt there was enough probable cause and the child was being truthful. We could go get a warrant signed and uh, go arrest the person ourselves, or we could refer it to the district attorney and they could take it to the grand jury and let the grand jury vote whether or not they believe there was enough evidence to get an arrest warrant. Or we would, we would tell them, we'd send it to the grand jury if, if we didn't believe there was anything there and we weren't going to get on the warrants. We'd send it to the grand jury and let the grand jury come back and say, no, there's, there's nothing here or there's not enough here to, to move forward. So what I'm going to do now is tell you about four of the CAC interviews that are relevant to this case. It's back to the child advocacy center interviews. The, my partner, detective Brian Smith and I scheduled the interviews through the family members and the Costco worker. First one we did was Christina's juvenile son, who was approximately nine years old at the time of the interview. We're going to use his initials. They are JK. JK was no longer living with Christina and hadn't been for some time. Christina's sister, who's married and had children of her own, uh, she was a nurse, a very nice lady, and he had gone to live with her full time. So she was the one we actually scheduled to bring JK in for the interview at the Child Advocacy Center in Livingston, Louisiana. Then he arrived, and the forensic interviewer was Jennifer Nolan, who is an 
absolutely fantastic children and fantastic interviewer. Probably out of the hundreds of interviews I've listened to, she's just by far, hands down, the best with children, period. And so she greeted JK and brought him into the room and went through the, the how to tell the difference between right and wrong, et cetera, the whole basic spiel that is done on every victim or alleged victim. And then she asked him, JK, do you know why you're here? And he said, yes, because of what Clutch did to me. And she said, well, what did Clutch do to you? JK stated that Clutch or David Constance would touch his privates or make JK touch David's privates. And when he said privates, the Jennifer asked him, what do you mean by that? And she had a, a diagram of a child. It's just on a piece of paper. And it's not colorized or anything. It's just the outline of, of a human being or a child. And she said, can you show me on the papers where you mean privates? And he circled where the penis would be. And then she said, okay, so how did he touch you there? And he stated that almost every day from when, when he was seven to nine years old, that clutch touched his private parts with his hands and mouth. He stated that Clutch put his private in J.K.'s mouth. J.K. also said that Clutch made him touch Clutch's privates with his hands and mouth. And he he went into more details about the different times, like because Jennifer would say, okay, and, and where were you when this one happened? And was anybody else home and stuff like that? He never stated the incident about his mother giving him oral sex when they were in the bed with David. But he went into really graphic detail for almost 10-year-old can do for traumatic event, right? So I'm sitting in the room with my partner watching this, I'm, and I just want to go kill this guy. This kid is in the, I think he's, he was in the fourth grade at this time, straight-A student since he got out of the house with his mom and, and moved in with his aunt. You know, straight-A student, very well-spoken, not, you can see his intelligence level, probably far surpassed that of his mother, Christina Constance. Anyway, he just was a little sweet boy. And to listen to him tell about how Clutch would put it, his penis in his mouth over and over again and until white stuff would come out in his mouth. Yeah, it was, it was tough to listen to. Certainly not my first child rape case, but, you know, you listen to it and you go through, and it's just probably too many instances for for J.K. to remember. But he gave enough different varied accounts of different places in the in the trailer where it would happen, et cetera. You know, he was crying a little bit. It was hard for him to talk about. And then towards the end of the interview, Jennifer said, uh, J.K., is there any, anything else uh, that happened like that? And, and he said, no. And he had calmed down. He wasn't crying anymore. And she said, well, is there anything else bad that happened to you when you lived there with him? And I'll never forget this. As long as I live, J.K. started just breaking down, crying again. And I was like, oh, God, what's he going to say? You know, did he only rape him or something? He was just as distraught about what he was about to say as about um, all the oral sex that he had had to give or receive from David Constance. And... She said, you know, it's okay, JK, you can tell me what it is. 
And he said, well, when we lived at the trailer in Holden, evidently there was a, a lot of people that lived there, like eight or nine of them. Clutch was paying for this other family, some relatives to live there also. So when we lived in Holden, every time it came time to eat, he said, I was always hungry. And she said, why? And he said, because every time it came time for meal for supper time, Clutch would make me go out in the yard and pick up his cigarette butts. And I couldn't come in to eat until I, I got done picking up his cigarette butts. And he said, by the time I got in uh, inside to eat, all the food was gone. He said, so I was always hungry. And he's crying, right? And you could tell, I mean, it's a really hard thing for him. And I guess in his young mind, that I mean, he doesn't know the difference about rape and, and everything that happened to him. But so the interview ended. Ryan Smith and I went out and met with the sister, the one that's a nurse that has him that in the family. And I pulled her aside and I said, hey, look, he stated these different uh, sex acts happen, et cetera. And I said, you know, at the very end, when she asked him, was there anything else? He started crying and told about how he never got to eat because there were so many people that lived in the house. And Clutch would make him go outside and pick up his cigarette butts. And he couldn't have any food until he got done picking up cigarette butts out of the yard that Clutch would sit around all day and smoke and flick the butts out in the yard. So by the time he got in to eat, there was no food left for him. So he was always hungry. And she started, she started crying. The sister did. She said, Oh my God. She said, I noticed when he first moved in with me that he was stealing food from the table. And I didn't know why. And she said, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't confront him about it, but she said, I was cleaning his room and I looked under his bed and there was a pile of food hidden in, in uh, under his bed by the back post. The, the bedpost that was against the wall. And she said, now I know why, because he never knew when he was going to get to eat again. So that was a very real concern for this young child. And then that sticks with me to this day. The, even when I smoked, I would never flick a cigarette butt out of my own yard, right? What kind of asshole does that to a little kid? But the JK was the, that family and they've taken him in. He's a straight A student and they have, Every Friday they have family night, which is they play board games and order in pizzas and stuff like that. So but overall, he had recovered as a lot of he bounced back, I guess you would say, when put in the right environment. We, we did a lot of CAC interviews. I think, like I told you earlier, 13 different victims and the TB, juvenile TB, which is the nephew. I told you about that when he came in and said the same thing. It was Jennifer Nolan that did it, and they went through the process, and he, he stated that uh, Clutch would uh, invite him over to eat or take him to get a hamburger or say, hey, TB, you want to take a ride in my dump truck? He was like, yeah, he thought that was the coolest thing. Then he would give him like $20 to wash his dump truck and stuff like that. And then technically, Constance was doing as a pedophile, was grooming this kid and setting him up. And then – he said that one day he brought him inside the house and uh, he said, "Hey, um, you want you want to fuck Christina?" And he said, "No, I don't want to." And you know, I don't want to fuck her. And Clutch started harassing him, calling him a pussy, and he's saying lots of ugly and mean, threatening things to him, and calling him a fag and a homo. And then had Christina go in the bedroom and get naked on the bed, and he brought him in there and he started rubbing on him through his pants and. The TB said he was scared. You know, he really was, he was frightened, but he said he said he wanted to go to the bathroom. So he went to the bathroom. He said it had there, he was looking for a window to jump out of. And 
there wasn't one. The, the trailer window in the bathroom was too small for him to get out of, so he knew he had to come back out. And when he did, Clutch forced him to take his clothes off and then get on the bed and have sex with Christina. And he stated that he got on the bed, like I said earlier, and, you know, they started kissing and uh, they were laying side by side naked and, and then they had sex. The, it's the same profile on how Clutch, even that he was related to him as his nephew, the, it's the same thing. It was a poor family. The, the um, TB's father was poor. I think he was disabled, et cetera. So anytime he would get to go over to Clutch's house, it was a big deal. And it was it was an ease of burden on the family. So, that again, it's the same profile. The next two victims I want to talk about initials are uh, J.F., who's white female juvenile, and K.F. And they were... Um, very, very poor. And they think in the time that this case went on and we spoke to them and went to visit them later on with a visit them later on with the district attorney, et cetera. They lived in like five different residences and they had nothing. And the family members were like mentally handicapped and the parents and stuff like that. The public assistance, welfare, what, what have you. But they were sweet kids and their brother and sister. KF was the brother. J.F. was the younger sister. And they stated that numerous years ago that Clutch had befriended their family and started buying food for them and then taking the kids places and, and stuff like that. So, in fact, K.F. stated at one point that David Constance actually lived with their family uh, for a short period of time. And then after he moved out, he would come get KF and get him to spend the weekend with him at, at wherever it was he was living at the time uh, with Christina. And the, during this time, he, he said that David Constance made him, made KF suck Dave, David's dick, Clutch's dick, and that he would, Clutch would suck David, uh, would suck KF's dick. This is all during the CAC interview. And, and so he, he's saying the words, right? He's a very poorly educated, simple child. I mean, he wasn't a child. He was, he was a bit older, a young teenager, I guess, 14, 15. And he's, uh, he said it happened all the time and that Clutch made him fuck Christina. And that would happen every time. And he said, uh, one time that Clutch pinned him to the wall and put his, his dick in his butt. And he said it hurt. He said, but I clenched, I kept clenching my butt to make his dick pop out. And uh, when he was holding me against the wall, he, he said, I kept telling him, Clutch, it hurts, it hurts, and don't do that to me. But he kept doing it anyway uh, until uh, Clutch had came or finished. The, and this happened, you know, over a long period of time. Now, JF, KF's little sister, started staying with them at some point in 2005 on the weekends. When JF came in, for her Casa interview, she maybe 11 years old, something like that, flat chested. I mean, she looks like a child, right? And she stated that in 2005, she'd gone to spend the night at Clutch's house in Livingston and Christina was there and that they took her into the back bedroom and he, he took her pants off and put his penis inside of her. She didn't say penis. She said, put his dick inside of me. And she said it hurt and made my bottom hurt real bad. And Christina watched the whole thing. And she kept telling him, she said, I was crying. I kept telling him to stop, but he kept doing it. And she related several more instances, including that Christina and her put on a lingerie show for Clutch. That Christina actually took her in the room one time and said, let's try on these panties. Just try on this bra and let's go model them for Clutch. And it ended up that Clutch 
perform some type of sex act on her and had Christina do the same thing in orally and tried to penetrate her again vaginally, etc. So the and the, the list of victims and the CAC interviews just go on and on and on. Uh, like I said, we were we did thirteen approximately 13 that I know of that I can remember. And it basically was always the same story that David Constance got them over and alone with Christina and either they both had sex with the kid or like one female juvenile evidently was already sexually active and she had sex with Christina. And when David tried to join in, he got, he got mad because she wouldn't let him. She was like 14. She she was willing to have sex with Christina, but not with David. And it just went on and on. There's other family members that he did. And like I said, even Christina, he, he started raping her when he was dating her older sister. So there were 13 that were still juveniles. There's a reason I'm telling you this. It'll become clear in a minute. 13 different juveniles that we were able to draw up warrants for and, and charge with David and Christina Constance either singularly or in joint, join on the charges for what they did to these kids. And we kept piling on the charges as, as you can imagine these interviews took, I think we worked like 30 or 45 days straight just doing CAC interviews and finding witnesses, et cetera. And so during this time with the district attorney, the assistant district attorney assigned to the case was name was Leanne. Malinar, and I was keeping her briefed on the case as it went along, and because the the aggravated rape charges had to go before the grand jury in the state of Louisiana, aggravated rape can carry up to the death penalty. Which in the history of the state of Louisiana, there's only been one person that's ever been charged with a death penalty for raping a, a child under 13. So this was potentially a landmark case uh, and the fact that we had this wide range of victims, many different jurisdictions, et cetera. But the briefing, Brian and I, my partner, would briefly in on a, on a regular basis. And once we wrapped it up, it became time to bring it to the grand jury, even though we had probable cause to, to make the arrest warrants and charge them with things that we did. There were a lot more charges that the district attorney wanted the grand jury to weigh in on because of the life imprisonment. Aggravated rape is going to either be life imprisonment without parole or the death penalty. Aggravated rape of a child or a person, an elderly person that doesn't apply in this case. So anyway, we're talking to Leanne and she's all fired up. She was pretty new as a prosecutor. I think she was very intelligent, but she was, this is her first big case in so it came time two days before the grand jury, and I was in her office. She said, look, I'm meeting with Scott Paraloo, who's the district attorney for the 21st Judicial, and Charlotte, who was Charlotte Bear at the time. She's now a judge in Livingston. She said, I'm meeting with them tomorrow. We're going to discuss the death penalty and, and you know, before we go to the grand jury the next day. In my mind, in Brian's mind, it's like, you know, this is a slam dunk, right? You got all these kids saying this and the we have all the CAC interviews, et cetera. And she said, well, we'll call you tomorrow for the meeting. All day went the next day and I never got a call from him. So the following morning at nine o'clock, the grand jury convenes. Now, grand jury is, is, a, is a secret meeting of 12 people and nobody knows what, what their names are. It's not on the record, et cetera. And what they do is 
the, the district attorney will present a case to the grand jury to find out if there's enough evidence to proceed with an indictment uh, or and, and to carry it to trial. And the grand jury simply listens to the evidence and they will recommend, yes, there is enough to true bill this perpetrator. True bill meaning, yes, we find there's enough evidence to take this to trial or they'll no bill it and then basically saying that this we don't believe it and there's not enough evidence here. So I was puzzled because I kept trying to call Leanne the day before about the meeting and never got her, et cetera. And that morning at 845, I was outside the grand jury room and Leanne comes up with Charlotte. Now, Charlotte Hebert was just bulldog with bulldogs, right? And so she's the head prosecutor, not the district attorney itself, but the, the number one prosecutor for the 21st Judicial. And anytime there was any type of death penalty case or anything major like that, she was always the lead chair. And and, and she's simply probably probably the best prosecutor I ever saw work in a courtroom, work a jury, et cetera, in murder trials and what have you. So she comes up with Charlotte and she said, hey, we want to talk to you for a minute. I'm like, cool. So we go in. I said, we're going for the death penalty. And Charlotte says, uh, no, we're not going for the death penalty. And we, we're not going for any aggravated rapes. We're going to drop it all down to sexual batteries and attempted sexual batteries. It said, we do not want you, Woody, to say anything about aggravated rape or incest or anything like that. And I was like, huh, bullshit. You know, I didn't say that out loud, but I was thinking, you you ditched me all day yesterday because you know the, the amount of time and work that we put on this and the amount of victims that we have, just the ones that we interviewed. And, and this guy's been getting away with this for 25 years. And uh, now you're telling me you're going to hamstring me before we go in for the grand jury. And I can only present a couple cases. And I can't say aggravated rape on any of them i was thinking fuck you watch and see so we go in and and they introduce me to uh the grand jury and it starts out you get sworn in it starts out they ask you who you are and where you're employed etc and they said okay on february 1 2005 did you meet christina constance i said yes i did and they said what's tell us facts about the case well this is a time when i didn't hold anything back as far as i was concerned they could fire me they could take my badge they could take my gun but they weren't gonna take my honor not on this case the i went in and i laid out the whole story from a to z even though Leanne tried to cut me off several times. I kept going and I said, and we charged him with the aggravated rape. This one, I would I explain the acts as the children explain them. Right. So all the gory details. Now you have to remember on a jury or a grand jury, uh, either one in a courtroom or a secret grand jury. These are regular people. These are people who get up and go to work every day and have jobs. And they have children and grandchildren or brothers and sisters and nieces and nephews you know, uh, and they don't hear shit like w- we did every day. So uh, when I'm in there talking about all these kids getting raped and the husband and wife doing them together and they're doing their own kids and everybody else's kids. I mean, I had, they, they were like three ladies that were crying openly. I, one man, I thought he was going to have a heart attack. He was so red in the face. And, they, and the guy that was sitting to my left at the end of the table was 
furious finally about I wasn't even halfway through with the story. He slams his hands down on the table. He says, Detective Overton, I want to know how this son of a bitch has been getting away with this for 25 years. And he was arrested way back then. And all these years, he's got, he raped all these kids and nobody knew about it. And, and nobody did anything about it. How's he been getting away with it all these years? And I stopped him. I said, you know what, sir? I turned and I looked at Leanne and Charlotte, the assistant district attorneys, and said, that is a really good question on how to, our, our legal system can drop stuff like this to lower charges than it is. Like, you know, in 1991, he was only charged with contributing to the delinquency of a juvenile when actually he had been raping the kid. I said, why don't you ask the district attorney that's sitting right here how this happens in cases like this? Uh, Charlotte, I would, to say that she was probably a little bit mad at me is, is an understatement. She stood up and she stopped. She said, okay, look, look, y'all, the stop. Uh, I want to take a break at this point. We're going to call a recess and, you know, y'all can go to the bathroom or whatever. I'll be back in, in a few minutes. And I knew she was pissed. And Leanne followed her out. And they came back. They were gone for like 35, 40 minutes. And when they came back, they called me in the hallway. And Charlotte said, Woody, I just got off the phone with Scott, the district attorney, Scott Perley. And she said, I told him how upset the people were, et cetera. She said, we're going to go for four counts of aggravated rape. And she she said, we're only going to do four, the, the, the four victims, TB, Christina's son, and JF and KF. And so I said, that's fine. I mean, I'm good with that. I mean, how many life sentences? Oh, she said no death penalty, right? To make it clear, to put somebody to death and it costs, it actually costs more money to put a person to death than it does to house them for life because of the cost of the appeals. It runs like three or $4 million over 18 to 25 year span average the appeals process. So they sit on death row for all these years and whatever parish it is, uh, Louisiana, we have parishes, not counties. Whatever parish it is that does, gets the conviction has to pay for the the entire process, appeals process. So the and I understand their point on that on not going for the death penalty it had never been done before. Only one person had been charged with it, and it wasn't successful. So they said we'll go for four counts aggravated rape and so we went back in i presented those four cases we told them we were changing it and we all over i asked them for these four victims for tb christina's son and jf and kf and the i presented those four and i walked out and naturally they came back and fully indicted them true build them and then we went to trial and god the whole process i think it had to be a record speed time I think it was maybe nine to 11 months first arrest to to the time that we went to trial. And sometime before the trial began, Liam Malinar, the assistant district attorney, wanted to meet the victims that were, were taking the trial. So we went and met with TB. And, of course, she met with Christina's son. And then we went to meet with JF and KF. And they had moved, JF and KF's parents had moved again. So it was a real chore in actually finding them. And the only way we found them was through Department of Social Services. We found out where they were receiving their welfare at, food stamps. And went to meet them. And it was a little bitty, like, single trailer, almost no furniture in it. At the time, 
Liam, Liam was like eight months pregnant or maybe even more. She was about to give birth. Right. So we go in and I introduce her to, to the kids and to the family and everything. And the such simple, good people, but in telling you how they think and how the, their thought process works, their mother was like, Oh Lord, we, you know, we love you, Mr. Woody. And, and we love you. And we're so glad to see you again. And, that that double clutch, he sure was something, and, and I never let nobody uh, touch my babies again. My babies will never go stay with anybody again, ever, Mister Woody. I'm telling you, ever. She said, unless you want to bring them to your house, Mister Woody, they can go stay with you. I like you. You know, we trust you. And I was like, oh God. In the middle of it, little JF looks at. She's staring at, at Leanne and Leanne's uh, pregnant stomach, and she says, Miss Leanne. And Leanne turns and he said, yeah, she's Miss Leanne. She said, yeah, Jeff, go ahead. And she said, I got a question for you. And she said, what's that, Jeff? She said, is that Mr. Woody's baby in your belly? And I about fell out on the floor laughing. And I don't think Leanne turned beet red. Uh, she was like, um, no, that's my husband's baby in my belly. So just like I said, good salt to our people. Uh, who don't know anybody and it's absolutely the the profile of the victims that David double clutch constants uh, preyed upon, you know, the people who really, I mean, he must've felt like a mental giant compared to them, uh, like Einstein in a room full of uh, kindergartners or something. And when we went to trial, they had the honorable judge, Beth Wolf, who is, <laughs> She is something. And it'd be, uh, she had that year prior, she had just been elected judge. And I watched her in, uh, in court one afternoon when they bring the prisoners in. And these are people rearrested for whatever charges or being sentenced for whatever charges and pleading out to whatever charges. I watched Judge Beth Wolf give away more years in prison sentences in one afternoon. Than all the other judges in my entire career I'd seen uh, other than life uh, without charge cases. I watched her give away more years to bad guys than any other judge I'd ever seen. So we've got a trial. Judge Beth Wolf is, is a judge, and they pick the jury, and we go through, and I testified. And then, of course, I was sequestered, which means I couldn't be in the courtroom. But the, the four kids came in and testified, and some other witnesses. In the, but it took, I was able to come back in for the closing arguments and it took the, the, the judge gave the jury their instructions and they went to deliberate, right? Then they have a deputy that stands outside the door to guard the, the jury from whatever or invited from intruding or interfering with the jury. And they were gone for less than 35 minutes, I think, total. And everybody was shocked. Nobody, I mean, never had a verdict come back this fast. And it came back and they, the jury found David Constance guilty on all four counts of aggravated rape. And Judge Beth Wolf sentenced him to life without parole to Louisiana State Penitentiary at Angola. And he, he got four life sentences. So. It, and afterwards, the deputy that uh, was standing outside the door, he said, Woody, it took them longer to pick a jury for him once they, the jury was retired to do the to vote on the case. He said, I've been doing this a long time. He said, I was listening through the door. He said, it took them longer 
to pick the jury foreman than it did to uh, convict David Constance. He said it took one vote. And then he said then they didn't want to come out too fast, so they sat around for a few minutes talking. But it was, you know, it was slam dunk all the way, as it should be. Now, Christina Constance, I think, eventually ended up to pleading to like taking like 20 years. They dropped it down so it wouldn't be another trial. I think she took uh, 20 years in. The funny thing about it is when going back to talking about her mentality, et cetera, is she used to send me a letter every year at Christmas time addressed to the sheriff's office from prison asking me, but I please make sure her kids had good Christmas presents. So, I mean, just and going on, hey, hey, uh, Detective Overton, how are you doing? Hope you're well. I'm doing fine. I know it's Christmas time coming up again. And if you would, can you please make sure my kids have good Christmas presents? So. And that's a little antidote there, but it just goes to show you the mentality of her. So David Constance goes to Louisiana State Penitentiary at Angola for four consecutive life sentences. So he should die there. And that leaves us with a part of a program we like to call the sphincter scale. And on that scale, one sphincter is... Barely even a bad guy. And 10 is the worst of the worst. David Constance gets our first 10 sphincters. And he is truly, truly the worst of the worst. And I truly believe he should have gotten the death penalty. If anybody ever, the intent of the law was ever written for anybody to have it, it should have been him due to his lifelong rapes and destroying kids' lives. And Christina Constance, I would give her a seven and a half out of ten on the sphincter scale. And the reason that for the seven and a half is the due to the fact that she was groomed from the time that she can remember, but certainly before she was a teenager, by Constance and of her lower mental uh, IQ. And, you know, I, I don't want to say totally she's a product of her environment. I'm sure a lot of it has to do with that. But, you know, anyone who sucks their seven-year-old's penis still deserves at least seven and a half sphincters. And with that, we'd like to thank you all for listening and hope you enjoyed this broadcast. www.realliferealcrime.com Hit us up and let us know what you think and leave us your rating, what you think. David Double Clutch Constance and Christina Constance should get on the speaker scale and we'll, we'll respond. Appreciate you. Thank you so much. Good night. Thank